red arms. Give it your all. We'll, we'll drink the wine till the cup is dry and kiss the girl so they'll not cry and toss the dice until we fly and dance with Jack on the Shadows. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Tales of a Red Arm. I am your host, Justin, and today we're jumping into Chapter 18, Into the Ways. Uh, this entire chapter, for once, is only one point of view. It is Perrin's point of view. So uh, we're starting out with Perrin kind of leaving his room in the Stone of Tear, and he's kind of putting clothes on, looking at his axe that was on the wall that he left there, basically, since he had drawn it out of the door. But he doesn't really like his relationship with the axe. But he just pulls it and buckles it anyway. Um, the hammer he's already got in saddlebags and got everything going. And basically the sun's starting to rise. And the room basically feels like he wasn't even there because it kind of smells empty. Despite him having his own scent on the sheets. It's just he kind of has this longing because he never he, he's never somewhere long enough to put down roots or make it a kind of home. He's like, well, I'm heading home now, but under the current circumstances, he's not particularly excited because it's, in his eyes, the last thing he's going to do, ever. So, as he comes out, Gaul is there, uh, rising from the spot he was squatting against the wall, and he bore all of his weapons with two leather water bottles and a rolled blanket and a small cook pot strapped beside the long or strapped beside the worked leather bow case on his back. And he's by himself. So parents like, anybody else? He's like, nope, they're too too long away from the free, threefold land. I warned you of that, Perrin. Lands of the lands like these are too wet and the air is like breathing water. There are too many people too close together, and they've seen more than they want of strange places. <laughs> oh, take that away for later. Um, but essentially, living in the waste for your entire life is like, it's a desert kind of thing. Moisture's not really that much of a thing. Um, the days are hot, the nights are cold, that kind of a thing. I know I'm saying thing a lot. <laughs> but... Um, too many people too close together means high populations, which I think is hilarious considering the size of the clans. <laughs> They're freaking huge. Um, but yeah, there's there's a bunch of different things about that that just bother them. And they're tired of these strange places, want to go back to a place that's familiar. But Perrin's pretty chill about it. He's like, I, I get it. And then now he's understanding that there's not going to be a rescue. No company of Aiel to drive the White Cloaks out of the two rivers. So he's like, okay, well, I'll be disappointed, but I'm not going to make it noticeable outside. But then, you know, after thinking he had escaped his fate of getting hanged by the White Cloaks, he's now he's like, well, i got, I got to prepare myself for what's going to come. And he's like, well, no no point in crying when the iron spilt or split. Just reforged it. He's like, well, did you have any problems doing what I asked you to do? And he's like, no. Uh, I asked one tyrant to take each thing you want to the dragon's, dragon wall gate stable and tell no one of it. And they will have seen one another there, but they will think the other things are all for me, and they'll keep silent. 
The Dragon Wall Gate. You'd think the spawn of the world was just over the horizon instead of a hundred leagues off or more. And he's like, well, the girl and the Ogier make no secret of their preparations. She's been trying to find the Gleeman and telling everyone she means to travel the ways. I mean, I... Fahil has her moments where she's just a really cool character. There's other times you just want to smack her. It's like, oh my gosh, she's stupid sometimes. But Baron's like, if she gives me away to Moraine, I vow she'll not sit down for a week. But Gaul in a neutral tone's like, well, she is very handy with those knives. And Baron's like, not handy enough. Not if she gives me away. It's like, well, no company of Aiel, the gallows still waited. It's like, Gaul, if anything happens to me, if I give you the word, you take Fa'iel away. And she might not want to go, but take her anyway. Make sure she's safely out of the two rivers. Will you promise me that? And Gaul's like, I'll do what I can, Baron, for the blood debt I owe you. I will. But he sounds doubtful, and Perrin did not think Fa'iel's knives would be enough to stop him. Wait for it. But they head through the back passages as much as possible, and they're basically trying to get there without being spotted in any main areas. Perrin's like, man, why can't the tyrants give the servants their own quarters? Which is what you typically would get in a lot of castle situations or palace situations, because that way that nobility can move around without having to see the unseen folk, a.k.a. the servants and such. And he's like, why is it so empty in the hallways? And Gaul's like, well, Randall Thoris called them to the heart of the stone. And Perrin just grunts, but he hopes Moraine has been among those summoned, which, I mean, if, she su if he's summoning all these important people, you better believe she's going to be there. But he wonders whether this is Rand's way of helping him escape her. But whatever the reason, he's glad enough to take advantage of it. So they come out of the last cramped stairway on the ground floor and it's pretty bare it's it's not meant for beauty it's meant for function but the stables lay just ahead in the great tunnel and only a handful of defenders for the guard but moraine could not intercept them now not without the dark one's own luck so they head to the staple and inside the stable, you got the smell of straw, hay, grain, oats, leather, horse, manure, all that, you know, fun stuff you'd expect. But there's stalls filled with fine Tyran horses that are prized everywhere. Like these are the Lamborghini of horses. Um, these are the, the top tier bestest horses ever, according to like every source in this series. Like everyone's like ty Tyran horses, man. Them's the pricey ones. But they're just lining the walls with more in rows across the wide floor and uh, only dozens of grooms at work. But then they uh, see Fayil and Loyal and they're ready to go. But next to them is Bane and Chiad. Basically looking just like Gaul with weapons, blankets, water bottles, a cooking pot. And Perrin's like, are they why you only said you would try? And he shrugs. I will do what I can, but they will take her side. Chiad is Goshin. And he's like, what, what does her clan have to do with this? He's like, well, her clan and mine have a blood feud, Perrin, and I am no spear sister to her. But perhaps the water oaths will hold her. I will not dance the spears with her unless she offers. But Perrin's like, man, you guys are so strange. What are these water oaths? Now, 
to break down a water oath as easily as I can. A water oath is essentially because water is very highly sought after in the waste, because obviously it's not very common. Uh, but a water oath is like a really, really, it's like the most powerful oath you could make, essentially. Um, maybe next to like an honor oath or something like that, but it's basically an honor oath. And you make it over water and it's because it's such a high commodity, it's like, it's the unbreakable oath kind of thing. Um, but parents like, well, why are they with her? And Gaul's like, well, Bane says they wish to see more of your lands. But I think it's the argument between you and Fael which fascinates them. They like her, and when they heard of this journey, they decided to go with her instead of you. He's like, well, if they keep her out of trouble, that's fine. But <laughs> Gaul throws his back at his head and laughs, and he's confused, and he scratches his beard worriedly. The Aiel have a very strange sense of humor. Um, but it's it's almost like a dry humor thing where, like, Perrin says, well, if they keep her out of trouble, but everyone knows that keeping her out of trouble is virtually impossible. That's what makes them find it funny, that kind of sense of humor. It's a bit weird, but it works. Sloyal so comes up with his long eyebrows sagging anxiously, and, of course, his pockets are bulging with books because it's just how he is. And his limp seems a little bit better, but he points out that Fahil's becoming impatient and that she might want to leave any minute. He's like, hurry up. You don't want to find a way gate, or you wouldn't even find the way gate without me. Not that you should try. You humans make me leap about so I can barely find my own head. And Fahil's like, oh, I'm not going to leave him, even if he is too stubborn and foolish to ask his simple favor. But if that's the case, he may still follow me like a lost puppy. I promise to scratch his ears and take care of him. But then, of course, Bane and Jihad thought this was hilarious. Bagal, not going to stand for this slight on his friend, leapt straight up suddenly, kicking higher, two paces or more above the floor, while twirling one of his spears. We will follow like stalking ridge cats, he shouted, like hunting wolves. He landed easily, lightly, and Loyal just stares at him, surprised and amazed. Bane, on the other hand, lazily combed her short, fiery hair with her fingers. I have a fine wolf skin with my bedding in the hold, she told she had in a bored voice. Wolves are easily taken. Well, of course, you can guess who did not like the sound of this. And Perrin's throat gives a growl, and both of the women's eyes pull to him. And for a second, Bane looked like she was going to say something more, but then she frowns with his yellow stare <laughs> in his eyes and keeps her peace. Not afraid, but all of a sudden worried. No, not really worried. Wary is probably the better term. And Fahil's like, this puppy is not well housebroken yet. Perrin refused to look at her. Instead, he went to the stall that held his dun stallion, which is Stepper. And uh, he waves, he's as tall as any of the tyrant animals, but heavier in shoulder and haunch. But he waves away the groom and bridles him and leads him out himself. And the grooms had walked the horse, but he'd been confined enough to want to frisk the quick steps that made Perrin give him his name, you know, Stepper, because he wants to step really fast. But Perrin soothes him. Like the sure confidence of a man who had shooed many horses. It was no trouble at all putting the high cantle saddle on and lashing his saddlebags and blanket roll behind. Gaul watched with no expression, because Gaul, like all other Aiel, would not ride a horse unless they had to, and then not a step further than absolutely necessary. But Perrin doesn't know why. Perhaps pride in their ability to run for long distances? But the Aiel made it seem more than that. They suspected none of them could have actually explained it.
I mean, they're an infantry force. That's just, just what they are. But the pack horse had to be readied as well. But that was done quickly since Gaul had everything, which is sitting in a neat pile with food and water skins, oats and grains for the horses, all the stuff that wouldn't be available in the ways. And a few things like hobbles, some horse medicine, spare tinderbox, you know, your basic stuff you'd get. But actually, just to add to why the Aiel wouldn't ride horses, even if they had horses, well, horses are bigger than goats and sheep and stuff like that, so they also don't give you milk, cheese, or anything like that. Um, so they don't really have much of a use in the way in, in the wastes. But if you also think about it, they have ridiculous running abilities. And long-term wise, they could outrun a horse in the long term. Like you could run a horse ragged and they'll blow past them while they're still tired, while the horse is still tired and the IEL have all the stamina in the world. Like they're, they're really good runner, long distance runners, which always thinks of um, things like uh, Gimli and Lord of the Rings is like, we dwarves are not, are not uh, cross country. We dwarves are cross country sprinters. Very dangerous over a short distance. <laughs> it's that kind of a thing, but the opposite. They're very, well, I mean, they're dangerous short and long distance as opposed to just a short distance. Um, but yeah, that I think it's also because a horse would be hard to hide where an Aiel who's running can instantly just drop into the ground, hide behind a rock at a crevice and a tree, whatever it might be, and blend in perfectly. Horse can't do that. So a lot of the things and styles and the ways that the Aiel behave wouldn't really fit that much. Um, so in that way, I think that's one of the biggest reasons besides it just not being practical to have that many horses in, uh, in the waste that are not like pack animals or something like that, because they might use pack animals or donkeys or ponies or something, but they're not going to use them for like cavalry or anything. They have no need for them as cavalry because they are anti-cavalry essentially themselves. But yeah, anyway, um, they basically have all these things plus their lanterns uh, to basically have everything good to go. But he sticks his unstrung bow under the saddle girth and jumps into stepper saddle with the pack animal's lead in hand. And then they just had to wait, seething. Loyal's already mounted on a huge hairy fetlock horse, taller than any other in the stable by hands, yet reduced nearly to pony size by the ogier's long legs hanging down. And at one point, Loyal was pretty much unwilling as a rider as the Aiel. But now he's used to being home on a horse, despite being able to also run ridiculously long distances just like the Aiel. There had been a time where, you know, that was the case. Now it's where he's just, he's comfortable with horses. Uh, doesn't mean he can't run or outpace somebody long distance. It's just he's comfortable being on one now. But if Aiel's taking her time, Checking her mount like she had never seen the glossy black mare before. Horse's name Swallow, by the way. Um, and it was a fine tyron breeding with slender ankles and an arched neck, a prancer with a look of speed and endurance both. And Perrin notices that it's shod too lightly for his own taste, but the shoes would not last. And this is all just an effort to put him in his place, whatever she thought that was, which we all kind of recognized by now. So, 
Fayil finally mounts with her narrow, divided skirts, and she pulls up close to Perrin. He's like, why can't you just ask, Perrin? And she's really soft. You tried to keep me away from where I belong, which technically isn't anywhere at the moment, but she believes it's by his side, and he's like, that's the point, is you're not supposed to be here because of what's going to happen. She thinks he's going to, like, throw back the enemy, and it's like, no, I'm just going back to die, but she doesn't know that. It's like... Uh, now you have to ask, just, can you just, such a simple thing be that difficult for you? But then the stone rang like a monstrous bell. Now, I don't know if this is an actual bell, or if it's something more akin to the Taviran nature. But, um... It says the stone rang like a monstrous bell, which implies that it's not actually a bell. So I'm assuming it's more like a gong type of thing. Now keep in mind that this bell ringing will come into play for the next several chapters um, from different perspectives. This is where the, the chapters overlap and kind of continue simultaneously. So it's not just like one chapter ends and then another story is going and then everything in between is lost. No, no, no. These are the things that like stack up in a plot way. So that you can understand, like, oh, they heard this monstrous bell ring. They heard this monstrous bell ring. Figuratively, bell ring, obviously. And they all notice it simultaneously. So that's what um, kind of gives you an idea of, like, oh, well, while this bell's ringing over here, Perrin's down here in the stable being talked to by Fael. And that's, that's what's happening. And then, poof, you do this, you do that, whatever. But basically... The bell causes the ceiling to quiver, which feels like it's going to calm down. Stepper leaped up, screaming, head flailing, and Perrin could just basically just hold on as much as he could. And the grooms are trying to scramble off the floor where they had fallen, run desperately to guys. It's almost like an earthquake, essentially, just noise. And all the horses are shrieking and trying to climb out of their stalls. And Loyal clings to the neck of his huge mount, which I think is funny because he could probably just... That, that horse barely holds him up, so he could probably wrestle it to the ground if he needed to, but Fael just sat swallow, surely, as the mare danced and squealed wildly. And Perrin knows this is Rand, the pool of Taviran's trying to drag it him back to the, the, the Stone of Tear, and the two whirlpools in a stream drawing one another. But the falling dust causes him to cough, so he tries not to dismount and run back to the stone, and he's like, We ride! While the tremors still shake at the fortress, He's like, Loyal, we ride now. And Fael doesn't see any more point to delay. So she heals her mare out of the stable beside Loyal's taller horse, and the two pack animals pulled along, all galloping before they reached the Dragon Wall Gate. The defenders took one look and scattered, some still on hands and knees. It was their duty to keep people out of the stone, but they didn't have any orders to keep them in, because you know, unlike the Shinarans, who had their own orders from book two, just FYI. Reference point. Um, but yeah, Perrin was right behind with his own pack horse, wishing the Ogier's animal could run faster. I mean, he, that horse now pony is like really lifting some heavy, heavy weights right now. So it's like one of those, um, I can't remember the term. I'm not like super crazy familiar with horses. Um, but it's like the Budweiser horses that pull those, like the draft horses, like those really, really big monstrous horses. That's basically what his horse is. And they're built more for the stamina aspect, like strength, 
not for the speed aspect. They're they're built to haul and like lift. They're not built to, you know, zoom zoom. <laughs> but um he's like, oh come on, like just get going. But Loyal's lumbering mount got left behind or wants to leave his lumbering mount behind and outrun the suction to draw him back in, the pull of Taviran to Taviran. And the gallop goes through the streets of Tyr towards the rising sun, hardly, almost not avoiding carts and carriages, but men in tight coats and women with layered aprons, the typical people of the town, if you will, to kind of give you more perspective. I mean, I wish there was a way to gather all the information of all the datas of all the different types of clothes and shoes and hairstyles and everything there was all in the one place there's just not enough of it to really do much sadly but there's enough information scattered about to kind of give you an idea of how to like build what an idea of what these people look like and their their styles and whatever but men in tight coats women with layered aprons and they're all just stare dazed barely getting out of the way of horses i, I can almost imagine Perrin shouting at people to get out of the way if not, Fayil already doing that, screaming at the high-pitched lungs. But at the walls of the inner city, get they eventually turn to dirt and shoes and coats, bare feet and bare chests above baggy breeches, holding up broad sashes, and everyone dodged just as slowly as the ones up in the city. But Pyron wouldn't let Stupper slow until they'd gallop past the city's outer wall, past the simple stone houses and shops, everything outside of the city actual proper. Um... And then it feels like he's beyond the pull of the Taviran, but then he's breathing almost as hard as Stepper is, who's just exhausted. He pulls him in for a walk, and Loyal's ears were stiff with shock, and Fyle's licking her lips, you know, staring at Loyal, and then going to Perrin, all white-faced, and he's like, what was that? What was that? Was that him? What happened? And Perrin's like, I don't know, lying. <laughs> but in his head, he's thinking, I gotta go, Rand, you know that. You looked me at the face when I told you and said I had to do what I thought I must. And Fayel's like, where are Ben and she at? It'll take them an hour to catch up now. I wish they would ride. I offered to buy them horses and they look offended. <laughs> yeah, I love Perrin's I thought after this. And he's like, well, we need to walk the horses anyway after that to cool down. And Perrin's like, I'm not going to tell her she doesn't know as much about the Aiel as she thinks she does. I mean, to be fair, Saldea, where she's from, is basically the top left corner of the continent and is virtually about as far away from Aiel territory as one can get without being like Arad, Daman, and Terabon. Like, it's it's far away. So, like, their knowledge of it's going to be basically what happened in the last 20 years, not much else. Shinar might see more Aiel because they're, like, catty corner to them. But, yeah. But he sees the city walls behind them and the stone rearing up up like a mountain. And he can even make out the sinuous shape on the banner waving on the fortress, which is the dragon banner. But he didn't have any difficulty seeing three people running towards them in a long ground-eating stride. Their flows easy, or ease, belying the pace, just flowing through it. But he did not think he could have run that fast, not for long. But the Aiel had to have maintained their speed from the stone to be this close behind. He's like, well, we're not going to have to wait that long. And Fayil looks back and he's like, is that them? Are you certain? But she looks at him and then looks away. It's like, 
asking him of that question had been too much like admitting he was part of the party. He's like, well, he is very boastful about his eyesight, she tells Loyal, but his memory's not so good. At times, I think you'd forget to light a candle at night if I did not remind him. It's like, well, if only you knew. I expect you've seen some poor family running from what they think is an earthquake, don't you? And Loyal's just like, I'm not getting in this, but he sighs heavily and mutters something about humans. And Perrin's like, that's probably not complimentary, but Fael just ignored it. Or didn't notice. But a couple minutes later, and Fael stares at Perrin as the three-eyed heel drew up close again for her to make out, and she didn't say anything. In this mood, she's not about to admit she, he had been right about anything. Not if, they, not if he said the sky was blue. But the Aiel, not even breathing hard when they showed slowed to a halt beside the horses, you know. And Bane shares a smile with Chiad and both gave Gaul a sly look. He's like, eh, it's too bad it's not a longer run. And she has like, finishing her sentence and is like, else we would run this stone dog into the ground. That's why stone dogs take their vows not to retreat. Stone bones and stone heads make them too heavy to run. But Gaul doesn't take any offense, and Perrin noticed he stood where he could keep an eye on Chiad. He's like, do you know why maidens are so often used as scouts, Perrin? Because they can run so far. And that comes from being afraid some man might want to marry them. A maiden will run a hundred miles to avoid that. <laughs> Fahil, little tart, is like, very wise of them. Do you need to rest? Asking the Aiel woman, and looked surprised and they denied it. And it's just like, she really doesn't know anything. And she hasn't caught on that she doesn't know anything. But she goes to Loyal, it's like, well, are you ready to go on? All right, find me this way, gate, Loyal. We've stayed here too long, and if you let a stray puppy stay close to you, it begins to think you will take care of it, and that will never do. And Loyal's like, come on, are you not carrying this too far? He's like, I will carry as far as I must, Loyal. Let's go to the way gate. So Loyal's ears sag, and he puffs out a heavy breath and heads east. And Perrin just lets him and Fael get a dozen paces ahead before he and Gaul followed. He's got to play by her rules, but he'd play them at least as well as she. So they, they head through a bunch of terrain, which, again, you can read. I'm not going to cover all of it because there's no real point to it. But they try to avoid strangers and whatnot, but they come across these little boys with long-handed whips that they use to keep horses together because there's clumps of a dozen or herds of a hundred of the famed tyrant stock. And some boys had long-handed whips that they used to crack them expertly to turn astray without ever coming close to the animal's hide, which means they can basically do this animal-friendly and keep them in line and, you know, keep them going where they're supposed to go. But they saw this uh, strange company, two humans, an Ogier mounted, plus three of the fierce Aiel. I like how the Aiel are added into the humans. <laughs> the Aiel stories that had taken the stone with the bold curiosity of the young. And Perrin thought this was all a pleasing sight because he liked horses. Because part of the reason he had asked to be apprenticed to Master Luhan had been a chance to work with horses, which is kind of a cool little backdrop of his story of, like, well, why did you become a, a blacksmith apprentice? Well, I mean, he's naturally built big, which doesn't harm you at all. But also being able to work with horses and maybe not be good at other aspects of horses, but liking working with horses, and then, you know, shoeing a horse might be more up his alley. And there weren't that many in Emmons Field, or at least not as nice, but, I mean, obviously got Bella. <laughs> and maybe the rare occasion of 
a farmer's horse or a family farm horse. But Loyal didn't like all this stuff, and he starts getting louder the farther away they get from the grassy hills, and he's like, it's gone, all gone, and for what? Grass. Once this was an ogier grove, we did no great works here, not to compare with Menethrin, or the city you call Canelan, but enough that a grove was planted. Trees of every kind from every land and place. The great trees towering a hundred spans into the sky. That's really tall, by the way. Um, all, all tended to devotedly to remind my people of the setting they had to build things for men. Men think the stonework is what they pri or that we prize, but that's just a trifling thing learned during the long exile after the breaking. It's the trees we love. Men thought Menethrin's Menetherin was my people's greatest triumph, but we knew it to be the grove there. Gone now, just like this. Gone and it will not come again. So you could tell Loyal is just upset. He's got a hard face, his ears drawn back tight to his head, and he smelled furious. Most stories called Ogier peaceful, almost as pacified as the traveling people, but a few, very few, named them implacable enemies. And Perrin had only seen Loyal angry once before. Maybe he had been angry last night, defending those children. Looking at Loyal's face, an old saying came back to him. To anger the Ogier and pull the mountains down on your head. But everyone thought this meant, you know, that was impossible to do. Like, you just can't make an Ogier uh, angry. But the actual original had been, anger the Ogier and you pull the mountain down on your head. Difficult to do, but extremely deadly if accomplished. That's another good little quote but he doesn't want to ever see loyal gentle fumbling loyal his broad nose always in a book to become angry of him with him but loyal took the lead once they reached the site of the vanished ogier grove and they headed a little bit southward there's no landmarks now ogier have this built-in kind of compass thing for uh, groves, waygates, that kind of stuff. So he, he can find them pretty easily. Um, and without him, you could potentially find it. It would just take a very long time to do so. So Loyal starts heading in this little path, and there's no landmarks or anything, but they could feel the waygate and sense it, and find it as certainly as a bee could find the hive, which I've always wondered how that works, because it's not like a bee memorizes flight patterns or anything to like know exactly where they came from. They just have this weird sense that tells them where to go back. It's almost like there's a there's a due north point in a uh, the hive where the queen is, and the bees all have a compass or something, the magnet that pulls them back to the hive. It's interesting phenomena. I've not really looked into it, but hey, that could be something interesting to learn about. But he dismounts Loyal, and it's a little bit more than knee-high of grass on him, but there's a thick clump of brush to be seen, taller than most, leafy shrubs as tall as the ogier, and he rips it away almost regretfully and stacks it to one side, and he's like, Maybe the boys or the horses can use it for fire firewood when it dries. I'm like, yes, because they're going to come all the way out here and find the waygate just sitting right there. That's nothing bad could possibly happen with that. But there's the waygate. And it's against the side of a hill, appeared more like a length of gray wall than a gate, and the wall of a palace 
like that, thickly carved in leaves and vines, so finely done they seemed almost as alive as the bushes had been. The ones that got removed. 3,000 years, at least, it stood there, but not a trace of weathering marred its surface. Those leaves could have been rippled through the next breeze. For a moment, they all just stared silently, and Loyal takes a deep breath, put his hand on one of the leaf that was different from the other on the way gate. The trefoil leaf of Avendasora, the fabled tree of life. Until the moment his huge hand touched it, it seemed to basically a part of the carving, just like all the rest. But it came away pretty easily. Fayil gasps loudly, and even the Ayil murmured. The air was full of the smell of unease, and there was no saying who it came from, but probably all of them. The stone leaves did seem to stir from an unfelt breeze now. They took a tinge of green, of life. Slowly a split appeared down the middle, and the halves of the waygate opened out, revealing not the hill behind it, but a dull shimmering that faintly reflected their images. And Loyal's like, once it is said, the waygate shone like mirrors, and those who walk the ways walk through the sun and the sky. Gone now like the grove. And I'm like, man, if they could ever get rid of Machin Shin and kind of like purify the ways, imagine what that would be like. Part of me thinks of the waygates like almost a like a Legend of Zelda dungeon type thing with the big bad boss, but the big bad boss used to be just the healthy guardian of the area and took care of everything. And then it used to actually be, you know, walking through the sun and the sky. And it was just this guardian that kind of like floats around and just making sure everything's okay and healthy and all that jazz. And then when it gets corrupted, it also corrupts the boss and the, the boss being corrupted is what causes everything to go nuts. And that's kind of what it feels like almost to me, at least. Uh, different people have their different opinions or views on it. But Perrin pulls out one of the pole lanterns from his pack horse, lights it up. It's like, oh, it's too hot out here. A little shade could be good. And he boots Stepper towards the way gate. And he heard Fahil gasp again. And Stepper kind of balked, approaching his own dim reflection, but... Perrin heals him inwards. Then he remembers to do it slowly, and it should be done slowly. Stepper's nose touched its image hesitantly and merged into the one walking into a mirror. Perrin moved closer to himself, touched, and then the icy cold slid along his skin, enveloping him hair by hair, and time stretched out. The cold vanished like a prick bubble, and he was in the midst of an endless blackness. The light of his pole lantern, a crushed pool around him, and Stepper and the pack horse wickered nervously. Gaul stepped through calmly and began preparing another lantern. Behind him was what seemed like a sheet of smoked glass. The others were able to be seen from here out there. Um, Loyal's getting back on his horse and Fayil gathering her reins, all of them creeping but barely moving. But time was different inside the ways. And Gaul's like, Fahil's upset with you. And his little lantern didn't add much to the illumination. The darkness drank in light and swallowed. She seems to think you have broken some sort of agreement. Bane and Chiad, don't let them get you alone. They mean to teach you a lesson, for Fahil's sake. And you will not sit on that animal so easily if they manage that plan. what they plan. 
And he's like, I agree to nothing, Gull. I do what she's forced me to do through trickery. We will have to follow Loyal as soon as she uh, as she wants soon enough, but I mean to take the lead for as long as I can. And he points to a thick white line under Stepper's hooves. It's like broken and heavily pitted. It led off, uh, led off ahead and vanquished itself into the blackness, only a few feet away. It's like, that leads to the first guidepost. We will need to wait there for Loyal to read it and decide which bridge to take, but Fael can follow us that far. And Gaul's like, bridge? I know that word. There's water in here? <laughs> Just thinking like, bridge, I know that word. It was like, well, everyone should know that word. Oh, wait, you live in a place that doesn't have a bridge or the word. Um, and he's like, it's not that kind of a bridge. It's just, it covers gaps. Not every bridge needs water. But he doesn't know that. They look kind of the same, but yeah, maybe Loyal could explain it. So Gaul scratches his head. He's like, do you know what you're doing, Perrin? Perrin's like, no, but Fael doesn't need to know that. <laughs> and Gaul laughs. He's like, oh, it's so fun to be young, is it not, Perrin? <laughs> Rowdy gets certain what the man was laughing at. Perrin gets Stepper going again and brings the pack horse. The lantern would not be visible at all here in 20 or 30 paces from its edge. And he wanted to be completely out of sight before Fael came through. Let her think he had decided to go on without her. If she worried for a few minutes until she found him at the guidepost, it was the least she deserved. And that's the end of the chapter. But it's a fun little, uh... It's a fun little Rashomon, let's begin the next adventure kind of story, chapter, whatever you want to call it. But I enjoyed it. So... Um, we learned a little bit about the Aiel, we learned about the clan differences, water oaths, all that fun cultural stuff, we learned about their ability to run for long distances, um, and even short distances, their stamina, all that fun stuff. We learned that the feud between Fael and Perrin, which is hilarious, is still going. Um, we learned that the Aiel have a strange sense of humor, um, Loyal does not like this whole bickering between Fael and Perrin. Um, Loyal is also very upset about the grove being destroyed. You know, all the different little things. Um, but yeah, there's there's a lot of different stuff that's interesting. Um, we know a little bit about the ways from the prior times, but never hurts to have extra additional stuff. So, but yeah. Um, that will be it for chapter 18. And we have chapter 19 coming up in the next episode slash chapter. Um, so hopefully you guys will join me for that one. Um, if you guys have any questions or want to make any comments or anything, feel free to reach out to me through uh, Facebook at just Tales of a Red Arm or on Twitter slash X, which is Tales of a Red Arm or at Tales of a Red Arm, I should say. Or you can reach out to me directly through email, which is talesofredarm at gmail.com. Um, also, if you have access to the Discord or you would like access to the Discord, you can reach that access through uh, Twitter, X, and Facebook. And if you don't find the link there, you can reach through um, my Gmail, email, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and I can get you a link. Um, 
and I'm on Discord literally every single day. And if you have questions, comments, concerns, anything, theories you wanted to talk about, love to hear them. Love to have a community going and people can chat with each other about what they love about Wheel of Time and uh, things that they find interesting. I have my own theories, even though I'm not the biggest fan of theories personally. Because I like the story as it is written, I don't want to make up my own story of it. But I do enjoy some things that don't have that information available. So we kind of have to just try to piece it together like a puzzle for what's available to us. So that's something I enjoy. Um, you can get a hold of me that way. We can text in a or chat in a uh, forum kind of chat room type thing. Or we can uh, chat in a voice mode type thing if anybody's on and I can pop on myself if I'm not busy something else. But yeah, there's a couple ways we can chat. But I also, I mean, if you want to just send me mail about whatever you'd like, I'd love to hear from you guys. It's always fun to hear from people and why they started on this journey of Wheel of Time and all that good stuff. And if you also want to send me hate mail, that's that's fine too. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll find it just as amusing and enjoyable. So thanks everybody for hanging out. Please join me for Chapter 19 if you would like to. Um, if you could share this podcast with any of your friends, family, acquaintances, coworkers, whatever it might be. Um, let them know that this is something that's designed for new people but also as equally uh i hopefully as fun for veterans of the series um something they could have a little community where they can talk to people about wheel of time because we don't have a whole lot of those but it's always nice to have something that we can do that with so thanks everybody and we'll see you in the next one until then we drink all night and dance all day, and on the girls we'll spend our pay. And when we're done, then we'll away to dance with Jack of the Shadows. We'll toss the dice however they fall, and snuggle the girls be they short or tall. And follow young Matt wherever he goes to dance with Jack of the Shadows. We'll toss the dice however they fall, and snuggle the girls be they short or tall. Then follow Lord Matt wherever he calls to dance with Jack and the Shadows. We'll give a yell with a bloody curse, and hug the mags, it could be worse. Let's ride away with the dark woods first to dance with Jack and the Shadows. Yeah. 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 Yeah.